Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Uh, it's so great to be um, part of the family this morning and being able to open the Word. Thank you for the privilege that it is to, to do that this morning. Uh, we're speaking about the presence of God, and we've been in this series for a little while now. And uh, the subject we're going to look at this morning is the practicing the presence of God in the everyday. How is it that we can find personal encounter, actually experience more fully the tangible presence of God in our day-to-day lives, in the busyness of all the things we have to do, in the responsibilities and the things that weigh on our mind, the things that we have to focus on in order to do life well, but how can we still walk with the presence of God throughout all those things? I'd say that as a pastor, it's probably the number one thing that I meet with people about in my office when they come to have a a private appointment could probably be summarized as, Pastor, I, I believe in God. But the whole idea of being close to God seems foreign to me. Could you help me do that journey. Now, it may not be those exact words, but it's that intent. How could I be closer to God? I know God is real. You know, apart from some, some very committed secular atheists, I've found even the average Aussie rarely says boldly that God is not real. I, I, don't, I don't know that in our hearts, as we look around at the majesty of the world around us, that that's actually a really logical conclusion to get to, that there's not some great design that has been involved in the creation of this world. And so I guess it makes sense to me that when people come to faith and they get to know that Jesus is their saviour, that they then say, well, I'd like to get closer to this God. I'd like to know how to do that. You know, when you, when you examine Scripture, and we're going to do that today, It's really not a quest that God needs to get closer to us. God is not foreign. He is not far away. And if today that's your view, that God is actually locked up in the heavenly principal's office and I'm down here in the earthly playground and somehow God's job is just to make sure as he overlooks us that uh, we're doing the right thing. And if we don't, he sends a detention slip down somehow. And if we do the right thing, he records a little gold star in heaven's little chart. If that's sort of what you think God is, then it will always feel like it's hard to find God. Not because God has hidden himself, but because we've decided God is far away. And I think the greatest challenge is not that God needs to get closer, is that we need to develop a heightened awareness of God who is already here. The Spirit of God is already here. He's with you. He is in you. He is around you. He is with you always. The Bible is, is, is actually replete with examples of how that is true. And we're going to look at that a little bit in a few minutes' time. So how can I, as a person doing life, come closer to God? It's not that God needs to get closer to me. It's that I need to become less distracted and more aware. It's interesting as Lisa was telling her, her story today how you know, removing Netflix and media and other things you know, just means that it creates an openness that we didn't have before. 
and we think to ourselves, wow, that's, that's incredible. And yet it shouldn't be incredible because we've just created space for reflection. We've created space for downtime. We've created space for the opportunity to connect to God, whereas before we filled it with other distractions. And so today I'd like to look into that. We're going to have a look into the private journal of Moses. I love Moses. Moses is my hero. And uh, we got a photograph of Moses I'd love to show you. Now, for those who are a little bit confused, that's Charlton Heston, okay? So don't think it's Moses. not actually a photograph of Moses. But I think when we think of Moses, we think of him like this. You know, great, mighty, powerful Moses, you know, holding back the powers of God. You know, and, and we see it through the lens of Hollywood. The reality is Moses didn't start out like that with God. In fact, I'll say this and be bold. I'd say Moses' story and where he started with God would be way backwards from where you've ever started. And I don't know your story. But Moses was a man that had no identity. Moses was a man that escaped the genocide of his generation. There were babies killed at the age of two years of age right across the entire Hebrew nation. And of course, Moses was the guy that escaped. Could you imagine living with the guilt of that your entire life? He grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He grew up in the, royal, in the place of privilege. He learnt he got educated. He learned the sciences of the time. He learned the arts of the time. He probably learned the mystical arts of the time as well. He grew up in the lap of luxury. He was the stepson of step-grandson of Pharaoh, who was, of course, considered by that race of people, God incarnate on the earth. He was the life of privilege. And yet inside him, he was a Hebrew. And he would have heard the stories of, of the Hebrew nation. One of the key stories he would have heard was that of Abraham. Abraham, what a promise from God that God was going to make him a great and mighty nation. And the promise said, but you're going to go into slavery, but in 430 years of slavery, you're going to come out. And anyone who was paying attention to the signs of the times, the, the time of prophetic season they were living in, would have realized this is pretty close to 430 years. And so, hey, we've got a guy, a Hebrew, who's in the palace Hey, 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 there's an expectation that starts to build because Moses is that guy. Moses escaped the genocide of his generation. Moses will be the guy that stands in the gap. And it comes a time when he's 40 years of age, he's, he's there, he, he sees an Egyptian persecuting a Hebrew, and so he kills the Egyptian trying to start a change. But instead of hearing from the Hebrew, thank you very much, he hears, who made you Lord over us? that you could do this thing. Then he hears that Pharaoh's put out an APB on him saying, if you see Moses, kill him. And so he flees into the desert. He is a man without a people, without a family, without a nation, without an identity, and he runs. This guy doesn't have a friend in the world and he's in the desert. For 40 years in the desert, and then at the age of 80, he comes to the burning bush. And at 80, he is asking two questions that I guarantee many of us already have started to answer. But he is completely lost. The first question is this. As the, God is speaking to him, God says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to free your nation. And he says, who am I? Who am I that you would send me? Moses is asking that question that everybody asks themselves, and that is, who am I? Who am I? 
And then God says, well, you're the guy I'm going to send back and I'm going to go with you. And then he says the second question that everybody asks in life, and that is, who are you? And he says, well, I am that I am. And I don't know that Moses was happy with that. He kind of went, oh, okay, well, righto. And back he went. Moses is 80 years of age. He's asking two of the great questions that everyone asks. He still hasn't really understood who God is. And yet, at the end of his life, the psalmists write this about Moses. Psalm 103 and verse 7. God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Moses knew the ways of God. The children of Israel stood back and saw all that God did and were amazed at that. Wow, the mighty acts of God. But Moses was on the inside of that relationship and knew how God did what he did. He knew the ways of God. That's why I love Moses. I don't know about you, but I want to be the guy. I don't know. I can't be the girl, but you can be the girl. Guys and girls, I want to know the ways of God. I want to know the ways of God. I want God to whisper to my heart the ways of His Spirit so that I can walk with God. Because if there's anyone you want friendship with in this world, if there's anyone that will bring to you peace and comfort, joy, strength, insight, wisdom, knowledge, understanding... It's the creator of the universe. And he offers the opportunity today for you and I to walk with him, to know his presence in our everyday. God learnt that Moses had ways. I'd like to say that the word ways means patterns. God works according to patterns. God is an infinite creative being. If you know the most creative human you've ever met that's able to create and do all kinds of wonderful things artistically, you can be assured it's a fragment of the infinite creativity that God is. God is infinitely creative. And yet, he, through the universe, if you look at the signs in the stars, if you look at the way the earth in 365 days, right on every second, comes round the sun and back again, spot on, on its axis, turns 24 hours a day, making, light, making day and making night. The seasons come, the seasons go, the seeds get planted, the crops rise, the food replenishes the earth, the rains come, and we get the water that we need. He is a God of pattern, pattern. He takes all of his creativity and he disciplines it into a regular yearly cycle. And that's just one of the patterns that God does. And we say God is faithful. Well, why do we know God is faithful? Because we see him pattern himself. If God was out there bouncing off the walls, being creative all the time, we'd never know where he was next. We could never see the calling cards, the, the business cards of God. We wouldn't know where is God going to pop up. That's not God. I think if you're approaching the presence of God thinking that's what you're doing, then you, you might find it hard too. But what if God would meet you in the same place every time, every day? And you found that place with God, you met with him because he patterns into your soul how to find him. That's the God that Moses knew, the God of pattern, the God who could be depended on, the God who would be faithful. Why does God humble himself to do that? I don't know. That, that's a great question that I think one day we'll get a greater view of, but that's what he does. God's power working in patterns of creation. Do you know he's actually designed you also according to patterns. You're a creature of patterns. You know, there's a circadian clock that sits inside you, a central clock inside your biology. 
that actually is linked to the clock of the universe. So in other words, when the sun rises in the morning, your body knows it's time to wake up. And when it, the sun goes down at night time, you feel that there's a slowing down needed so that your body can find rest. And day in, day out, the night and day comes and your circadian clock, which is linked to thousands of other clocks in the systems and organs of your body, are also connected together. And you're just one big pattern. Your cellular life is one big pattern. And that is the creative power of God in your body. The wonder of it all. You have learnt things according to patterns. I'm teaching my daughter to drive at the moment, my youngest daughter to drive. The others are all good. You know, like we jump in the car, we, you know, we're flipping on the thing, I'm plugging in my phone, I'm putting on my belt. You know, I'm, I'm already talking to someone, waiting for the Bluetooth to connect in. I've got my indicator on, I'm already half looking where I need to go, putting the, and then probably taking something out of my mouth that I'm eating at the same time as we're pulling into a whole line of traffic going to work, Yeah. Anybody done that a couple of thousand times? And yet when you see someone learning to drive, it's just one thing after the next. It's very mechanical. You know, it's like, brake, 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 brake. A little bit more brake. <laughs> How many hours have we done? Oh, only eight. <laughs> 92 to go. <laughs> Excellent. You know, patterns, your motor skills. Way you walk, you learn to run. There's a whole bunch of things you can just do. You don't even think about it as you are patterned according to that. You know your soul is patterned. Your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul. As you are a baby, your parents, the role of your parents was significant in the way you were patterned. Influences, relatives, teachers, mentors, role models, people that you've seen over your life, examples you've seen on all kinds of facets have become imprinted as part of you. Your soul has learnt to be you through the patterns that you've done. I remember in grade 10, my grade 10 teacher in English, Miss Crick, I'll never forget her. She is with me forever, Miss Crick. We were doing a poem called The Boxer. Now, we had a dog at home, a boxer dog, right? Anyone know what a boxer dog looks like? Yeah, so I had one of them. I'm reading this poem. I am convinced this poem is talking about a boxer dog. And we're reading it through every line, very metaphorical and poetic. And, you know, I'm bored out of my brain, but there I am. I get to the end. And then at the end, she says to the whole class, can anyone guess, based on the text, how old the boxer would be? I put my hand up with all my sartorial academic splendor. And I say to her, do you want that in doggy years or human years, miss? This poem was about a boxer. I had no idea, but the blind spot that I'm looking at, ah, oh, see, yeah, you thought the same thing. Blind spots, the soul, we learn. I've learned, Miss Crick then says in front of the whole class, she says, are you a complete moron or just an idiot? <laughs> I still know, remember those words. Teachers, you have such an important job to do. Our soul, the problem with our soul, of course, is the interpretations and expressions that we have learnt become imprinted inside us are not always the ways of God. We've learnt ways inside ourselves and patterns inside ourselves that actually pull against the way that God thinks and the way that God works. 
And so the patterns we have need to be reprogrammed to the patterns that God has. And as we do that, we come into alignment with the ways of God and we start to flow with God better. God's love is always with us. God's faithfulness is always with us. But it's up to us to learn the patterns of God so that we can walk in the ways of God. No wonder Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. God is speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Solomon also said in Proverbs 14, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the end of death. That's true. Our soul has a way of interpreting the world around us and telling us what's up and what's down, but not always is that true. And Moses discovered a place where the presence of God, where the patterns of God can be learnt by the human heart. Humans that are imprinted by a holy God. I just want to do a couple of foundations before we go to Moses' journals and have a look at what Moses actually wrote about this place. The first thing I want to cover is this. Number one, I think this is a foundation we've got to settle inside ourselves for the presence of God to become more real. Number one is that God is not distant. God is not distant. God is here. He is present. He is always there. Scripture is full of meaning, and I don't have actually time to go through it all, but it says, in him we live and move and have our being. In the book of Acts, as, as Paul was speaking in the Areopagus to a whole bunch of philosophers, God is an ever-present help in time of need. He is ever-present. He's here. He is around us. God's intent from the start of creation was that he would be one with us. And Jesus' name itself is Emmanuel, God with us. So again, again, scripture after scripture, God is not distant. We must settle that, that God is here. Secondly, God is a spirit, and you are a spirit being. You were made to commune with God, not necessarily physically with God, but your spirit, as you're born again, becomes a radar and receptor that is open to God. What happens is the life of the spirit of God comes and lives inside you. You are able to see for the very first time that Jesus is who he said he was. You see it. It's a moment of your first revelation where you go, wow, Jesus really loves me. God's really true. And he came and died for me. Wow, I see it now. And you're able to, by faith, lay hold of something inside. That's called being born again. I see it. Now, God wants to, on top of that one revelation, lay a thousands and thousands of other revelations now. He showed you the first one. Don't stop there. Keep going as God opens himself more and more to you. John 4 and verse 23 says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Job 32 and verse 8 says, But there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. There is a knowledge that will come to you through your spirit connection to God where you become open to who he is that we're speaking about today. Thirdly, you were made to commune with God spirit to spirit. It's communion with God. You're able to be aware of God, walk with God, 
You can physically engage with the, with the surroundings around you. Your senses, your five senses, your hands, your feet, your body can engage. But your spirit can stay communing with God. And God wants to teach you how to do that. John 14 verse 23 says, If anyone loves me, this is Jesus speaking, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love that last half sentence. And we will come to him and make our home with him. The amount of times I've walked around my living room saying to God, God, you've made your home with me. You've made your home with me. You're just as comfortable in my home and I want to become just as comfortable in your home. Help me, God. Help me. These are promises that we can begin to enter into as God shows us how to commune with him. Number four, our soul needs renewal. Your mind, your will, your emotions need in some cases to have a death and resurrection experience. Your soul needs to at times say, that's it. I'm putting to death this thing that I used to do, this way of thinking, this reflex that I have somehow cultivated inside. I'm going to put it to death so that I can rise again in a new way of living, that the new creation inside me can actually walk a different way with God. I'm going to lay those things which are past behind me and I press forward to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is, there is an important process that God wants to do. Our unrenewed faculties are not helpful when we try and connect with God. If I am constantly telling myself I am rejected, I am not loved, I am unworthy, and I come to God, no matter how much God says I love you, we won't hear it. We have to let our soul become renewed to say, well, actually, God does love me. And yes, I've had some difficult things, but God loves me. And I am loved by him. So let's go to Moses. Moses' journal. Different scholars would say that Moses wrote 11 psalms. Others would say Moses wrote two psalms. I'm no one in that conversation, except I, I think Moses wrote 11. As I read the psalms that they say, it feels like Moses to me. It sounds like Moses to me. Looks like it draws out of his background. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, though, Psalm 46 and Psalm 91 are the two Psalms I want to look at today. They are the private worship journals of Moses as he was leading three and a half million people. You think you're busy. You think you've got a full schedule. Let me tell you, he had a lot of direct reports until Jethro turned up to tell him how to do things right. He was busy and he was old and cranky, I would say. As I read Moses, I reckon he was cranky. So there he is. He's an introvert too. I love him. He sat all out in the tent of meeting with God all day as he spoke with God. What a wonderful profession that would be. Don't come and talk to me. I'm with God. And the glory of God would settle around the temple like this and he'd walk out and his face would shine. <laughs> what a job. Awesome. Doesn't happen often at Gateway's offices, but we're working on it. We are working on it. Psalm 46 and verse 10 says this Be still and know that I am God. Put your finger in the Bible there, go to Psalm 91 and verse 1. And it says this 
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. What a word. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. We're going to look at some things we need to do and some things that we can rely on God to do. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Only in stillness can we truly know God. Now, stillness is different to doing nothing. What he's not saying is do nothing. Eastern meditation would want us to empty our mind to a place of nothingness. That is not the way of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is we replace the way that we think with the truths of the way God thinks. And we meditate on the truths of God until they become part of who we are. Because there's no power in nothingness. That's why Moses said, be still and know that I am God. There is a knowingness about God that comes when your soul is quiet. The greatest challenge to hearing the voice of God that people have is their soul is too busy. It is too noisy. It is speaking too much. They have trained it to be the primary voice in the So when it's time to sit down and actually spend time with God, the mind keeps whirring. The busyness inside keeps whirring. The activity, the anxiety, the sense of, of, of pressure continues to go. And so in desperation, we spend five or ten minutes and say, God, that's all I've got time for. I need to go. And we do that and we do that and we do that and our soul learns to be king and we don't learn how our spirit can connect with God and set our soul free. And so God taught Moses how to do that. God taught Moses how to be still in his presence. Moses stopped trying to work it out. Moses stopped trying to make sense of it. Moses stopped trying to be the king of the kingdom. I am the king of the kingdom. Let me speak to you and I will show you the way through. We see a few of the conversations recorded, but we didn't see them all. I have no doubt Moses got a lot more from God than we see written down in here. When we cease from our thoughts and striving, we can hear God. When Moses encountered the presence of God, notice this, he encountered the presence of God, his face shone with the glory of God. When Adam discovered himself, the presence of God left. Do you see the difference? Adam discovered himself. He, he worked out he wanted to make his own decision about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so he made his own choice, and then the presence of God was no longer there. And God comes looking for him, saying, where are you? I'm hiding myself. I'm naked. Well, who told you you were naked? A whole different scenario. And so mankind has spent their time, their whole lifetime then, trying to work its way up to God again. Trying to find a way that we can step high enough on a ladder that we could find God again. And yet God came down and found us. Removed the barrier between us and says, now I want to walk with you again. But we come with our soul so busy and cluttered back to God again that we can't hear. But yet we can. And my hope for you this morning is this, you can. You can 
actually allow your spirit to learn the ways of God. It's such a good place to be. The first step in finding a deeper sense of the presence of God is be still and know. Secondly, Psalm 91 and verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, all of us have a secret place. Right now, you have a secret place you go to right now. It's a place where you find refuge and it's a place where you find strength. You're already doing it. What he's saying here is, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, if your secret place is Netflix, then that will be the place you get strength from. If your secret place is not one glass of wine, but two, if not two, maybe three, it's been a big day, then that becomes the place you draw strength from. Where is the place you hide your heart? Where is the place you go to to refuel? I'm not saying in and of themselves there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine while you're watching Netflix. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if it's the place you go to often to find strength and refuge, then it's the place that you're actually serving in your heart. It's not a criticism. It's not a condemnation. It's just to illustrate the point that then when we come to the secret place of God, we are unprepared. We haven't spent the time to do it. Moses continues and says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Whatever is God in your life will be that refuge and fortress. Moses then goes on and observes there's two sources of false refuge and false fortresses. It's in the next sentence. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. What's the snare of a fowler? What's a fowler? Well, birds fly in the sky and they are safe. Fowlers are bird trappers that walk on the ground. They set traps. They put baits in the traps. The birds leave the safety of the sky to walk on the ground in spindly legs they're not designed to walk on. They come and take the bait and get caught in the trap. It should never happen. Birds who fly should never be trapped by things on the ground. Why do they get trapped? It's the appetites inside them that drive them. Moses is observing that the appetites in you will drive you to your secret place. What are your appetites? Perilous pestilence. A pestilence is an infection. It's the coronavirus of the spirit, if you like. It's caught by your influences, by the knowledge that you receive, the things that you take in as information or influence that you depend on. Hang on, just let me Google that. I'll get you the answer. What is your information source? Who are the people that are around you? The things that infect you become the things that inform you. And so Moses is saying there's the appetites inside you and then there are the things that infect you. What are those two things that create for you the fortress or refuge? God needs us to replace those appetites and influences with him. Surely he will be my refuge and he will be my fortress. 
Moses said. And finally, he says, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. It's actually really rich language, this, and it's really difficult for me to unpack this in three minutes. But, but largely speaking, in the Hebrew tradition, they would sit, and they do it today in, in, in the Jewish nation, they'd sit under their prayer shawl and pray. You'd see oftentimes the prayer shawl, you'd see Jewish people, they wear it over their heads, and when it's time to pray, they'll draw it over themselves and they will pray. They will extend the borders of the wings of that garment, affectionately known as their wings, and they will sit under the wings and pray. It's, it's why Isaiah 40 says, you will mount up on wings as eagles. You'll run and not go weary. Just that, that's the wings. Your prayer life will rise as you wait on the Lord. That's what that scripture means, but that's, that's, that's for free. That's an extra bit. Essentially, under his wings, we will find refuge. Around the borders of the prayer shawl of a Jewish person, is known as the phylacteries, is words of the covenant. On the words of the covenant, these are words that God has spoken that when you come to pray to the prayer place, you are claiming from God. You are sitting in the covenant you have with him so that you can enter the presence of God and pray. Does that make sense? But if we're under the wings of his feathers, under his wings we'll find refuge. These are the words that Jesus prays over you. This is Jesus' prayer life. Did you know Jesus has a prayer life? He is your high priest. He is your mediator. He is your great intercessor. He prays before the Father day and night for us. And so those words of covenant that he's praying over us are the words that set us free. I had a couple of years ago now, actually about six or seven years ago, this incident as I was jumping up to, I think I may have shared this with you before, but as I was jumping up to do communion at Mackenzie campus, as I jumped on stage, my heart rhythm just flipped out a beat. And it was a really weird sensation. I was really dizzy and I could feel this sort of palpitation going on inside me. It was really weird. I staggered back. Thankfully, the people were coming to get their uh, emblems as you were this morning. And I staggered back to the front row and sat there and Jason said, you okay? And I said, uh, no, I can't breathe. I don't know what's going on. And so he jumped up to finish communion. I went out the side door and as I walked up the side, somehow it flipped back into beat again and I felt okay. We went on a whole journey medically and they fixed it and did all the right things. But the thought stayed in my head. And for years after that, maybe a couple of years, every time I'd get up to preach, this wave of anxiety would come over me and I'd say, God, is this going to happen again? And I couldn't get the thought out of my head. And I'd, have this, I'd be standing on stage absolutely petrified, which is terrible when your job is to preach, <laughs> sort of a bit of an obstacle. And I face this thing every Sunday. There'd be some Sundays I'd be in my office and I'd be saying, Jesus, take it away. I don't want to do it today. I can't get out there today. I just can't face this thing one more time. And I'd stand on stage and breathe my way through it and get through it and sit down and I'd just ever go back home to bed and sleep all afternoon, just wrecked. Until one day I was sitting in my quiet time with Jesus. And if you looked at my journal through those couple of years, you'd see me just crying out to God, saying, God, please, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I know to do. I don't know how to get free. 
And I felt the presence of the Lord walk in this room. As I'm saying this to you, I can remember it distinctly. It wasn't just the gentle presence of God. It was like a sense that Jesus walked in. It was the most profound moment. And I couldn't hardly speak. And I felt his words inside me say this, ask me what you want. I've thought about it afterwards. Why did Jesus say that? All through Scripture, he says to people that obviously have issues, what do you want? And he did the same for me. He said, what is it you want? And I said, God, I want to be free. And he said just these simple words, it has to do with you. I was cursing devils. I was trying to do this. I was trying to break the powers of darkness. I was doing all kinds of things to try and get free. And Jesus said, no, it has to do with you. You. And it started a whole new journey. And within about six to 12 months, there were some things that I got to learn about me to get free. And today I'm free. Really free. And I can't tell you how good it is to be free. And I can also tell you how bad it is not to be. What it's like to be in the prison and you can't get out. If that's you today, I understand. But can I tell you this? Under his feathers you will find refuge. His wings, his prayer. I was praying the wrong prayer. Jesus said, it has to do with you. I changed the way I prayed. I started to say, God, help me find how do I reprogram me? How do I get this thought out? How do I work through that and found some help? It changed my whole approach. Folks, I tell you, Jesus knows what to do. Every situation. But wait for him. Wait for him. There were many things I tried, the many things I tried that didn't work. But the thing that worked was when I let Jesus... Jesus came. It made a difference. A friend of mine is going through cancer treatment at the moment. And in fact, he's, he's through it, the other one. And they've had to remove a good portion of his body in order to remove the tumor that was in there. And according to them, they've got it. They've got it all. And, but of course, he's left with a significantly disfigured part of his body where those muscles had to be removed. Uh, but he's alive. And he's went through a significant amount of uh, radiation and there's a secondary operation for his bones and all kinds of stuff. But he's alive. And we were talking about it. And I said, how are you going with God? And he said, I want to say this is going to sound really funny, he said, but I just want to say this to you that I would never want to go through this physically ever again. But spiritually, he said, I do it all over again. I said, really? Tell me. He said, I have never found such a sweet place with God that in my time when I've desperately sat with him and said, God, be with me. And I've felt the grace of God just come around me. Ne never before have I felt the intensity of the grace of God like I felt during this season. And I have loved that place. I don't know about you, but I heard the prayer in his heart. I understand that he doesn't want to be sick. No one does. But I understand what his heart was saying. I was so satisfied as I met with God through this process. He is a faithful and wonderful God. This morning, I'd love us just to finish on something a little bit different. Rather than sort of open the altar and pray for people, which is we're going to do as well if you need prayer. But I'd just like to take us on a little bit of a guided meditation for a minute. It's not spooky. Don't worry. It's all good. I just want to... Help us enter into something, maybe even model with you what this might look like. So if you were wanting to make your secret place 
a little bit more intentional. And if you're looking for a framework you could use, that you could take into the secret place with God, then you could use this. Now, let me say this for a minute. I don't want to elevate anything of my personal walk with God. I don't. I want God to come and minister to you personally. But I've found it's helpful to have a little bit of a key how to get started, yeah, what to do. And in the spirit of that, wanting to help people, I want to help us do this this morning. It won't take us long, just a few minutes. So I want to encourage us just around the auditorium just for a minute, just to close your eyes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to just work through some scriptures and then meditate out loud for you on those scriptures. What I encourage you to do is let my meditation be your prayer. Let my meditation allow words in your heart to form of thankfulness and gratefulness or of, or of prayers of um, request to God. And let's see where the Lord would lead us. Father, this morning, as we sit and be still before you, I pray for revelation knowledge to be in this room. God, that you would reveal to us yourself. We would be still and we would know that the God of heaven is our refuge and our fortress and that there is a place we can go to where we learn the presence of God that we can carry into our lives every day. Would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. While our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, Romans 3 and verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's true that when I come to God, Father, I know I don't come because I have it all together. I come knowing that the best I've got to offer you are rags, the best that I have. Even on my best day, God, I fall short of you. I have need of a Savior. I have need of a God that will rescue me. And so 1 John, in verse 1, says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I'll do that today, Lord. I, I confess my sin to you. Father, as I do it, I confess it knowing that I'm releasing from me sin that you have taken from me and forgiven. Lord, that there is a righteousness you are offering me that is a gift from you. And today, God, I ask you for that gift afresh. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. <laughs> so God... As I've confessed my sin to you today, Lord, you're not writing them down in a book. You're not recording them so that you can slap me with them later. But actually, as far as the east is from the west, it's an infinite distance. God, you are removing them from your memory. And so I will also remove them from mine. God, your ways are that you would forgive and forget. So Father, I will enter into those ways today. In Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 5 says, 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. (laughs) God, I am the righteousness of God because you've gifted me that righteousness. But Father, like any gift, I can pretend I don't have it or I can actually put it on as a robe. I can wear it. And so today, God, I wear righteousness as the gift from you. God, like an early birthday present, I'm in the gift of righteousness today. It's mine. There's one with my name on it. My name, Derek, is written on righteousness. And today I own that righteousness. God, it's from you. And I thank you for that. God, I feel that sense of right standing with you now. Nothing separates me from you when I stand in that righteousness. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so, Father, not only am I righteous today, but I am family to you. You have brought me in as a child of yours. Oh God, I can run and jump up on your knee and I could talk to you and you'd listen. God, you're okay with the fact that I have tantrums every now and then. God, you'd rather I didn't, but I know you're my dad. So I, I know I can rely on that faithfulness of you. You're so kind to me. You're so gentle. You're so present. You're so generous. Thank you for being my father. Finally, Galatians 3 says, For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm a son of God today. There is the Son of God who I worship, but He has made me a son of God. And so as a son of God, I walk boldly to the throne of grace, conscious that I'm clothed in righteousness, but also knowing that you have elevated my stance so that I can touch you, I can sense you, I can know you. Father, I thank you for that. I'm going to leave my secret place, carrying the knowledge of God now. That God, I'm not far away from you and you're not far from me. But God, I'm in you and you're in me. Father, my prayer upon all the people sitting here today is that God, that you would help them as they come close to you, that you would teach them the ways of the Spirit, that you teach them faith, faith in God that will never fail them, faith in a God that will always help them. Father, I pray blessing over this family of God today in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. I don't know how helpful that is, And I guess we've probably rushed it a little, but my hope today is that you could catch the conversational nature of coming close to God. If that helps you, great. There is a, on the screen, if you want to take a photo of that, if that's helpful, you do that. Don't be embarrassed to grab it. There's lots of other scriptures you could use. There are many other scriptures God will take you through. The process won't change necessarily, but the scriptural pathway might. But I find this pathway is a great one for someone starting out. 
He just wants to know the foundations of their faith. Why don't we stand together this morning? We're going to worship the Lord just as we finish this morning. I'm going to ask the worship band if they come and lead us. Let's just sing this to the Lord this morning before we finish. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.